Thank you, guys. Let's take our Bibles this morning and open to Luke's Gospel. We're in Luke chapter 12. We are continuing a uh, series that I'm calling A Haunted Faith, and it's based upon the premise that uh, there is those times in life where we experience some hardship, uh, difficulty, challenge, and I mean to uh, of such profound, uh, profound pain that it uh, can sometimes literally divide your life between life before that event, that circumstance, that situation, that season in life after and after you have endured those kinds of circumstances or events in life experiences uh, we are often left with questions doubts uncertainties fears preoccupations things that can haunt us in our life and sometimes we don't like to talk about those things or ask questions about those things uh, because we think that somehow to to talk about it to express it uh, reveals a lack of faith on our part and I uh, hope that what is uh taken from this series that nothing could be further from the truth. And so it's out of that spirit that this uh, series has emerged. And this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at verses uh, 22 through 30 here in Luke's gospel in chapter 12. And so I would ask you on the front end, is your life preoccupied or haunted, uh, preoccupied with, distracted by worry? Would you consider yourself to be a, a chronic warrior? I think it's a part of our day for all of us. If, if we're honest, there's some point in our life during the day and every day where we worry. But is it uh, something to a degree that you are distracted by it, that you don't feel you're able to function? Are you a chronic warrior? Well, I would, I would want you to know that if that is so, if you're affirming that in your own heart and mind, I want you to know that there is a high price to be paid for worry. Medical science for decades has been compiling and datified a great deal of evidence uh, showing the, the toll that, that worry and stress takes upon uh, human existence physiologically, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our, uh, even our spiritual well-being. Dr. Kenneth Pelletier, stress expert with University of California in San Francisco, he has said that the accumulation, the cumulative effect rather, of life's aggravations, both large and small, contribute in real ways to heart disease. But it's not just the heart, it's not just our physical well-being. Dr. Philip Landfield, who is a neuroscientist on the faculty at the University of Kentucky College of Medicine, in his research has discovered that stress in laboratory animals has caused them to lose brain cells. It's a research project that has led him to speculate in continuing his research uh, that uh, shows that uh, indications, that there are indications of a connection between stress, uh, worrisome levels of stress, dementia, and Alzheimer's. The American Journal of Public Health asserts that the incidence, the increased incidence of cancer around Three Mile Island after the 1979 nuclear accident, that nuclear meltdown, may have been caused by the stress surrounding the incident and not so much the incident itself. So worry can have some very real 
effects on our life. Now the great physician, Jesus, seemingly understood that as well. He has a great deal to say about worry, anxiety, and stress. In our passage today, uh, you can go back and look at it. It's in the Sermon on the Mount as well in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 through 30 through 33 in that passage of Scripture. They, they, are, they, are, they are very similar. In fact, if you were to read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you would discover that one out of every seven verses of Jesus' teaching has to do with this issue of the handling of stress, anxiety, and worry. Well, what does the great physician, Jesus, what does he say about worry? Well, the first thing, if you notice there in verses 22 and 23, the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples regarding worry is that worry is, is unreasonable. That whatever your worries, they, they are unreasonable. Now, he expresses it this way. He said to his disciples, for this reason, we're talking about reasonableness. For this reason, I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are to wear. For life is more than food, and the body is, is more than clothing. There's the reason, he says, you should not worry about these things. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. That is, there is more to our human existence than just the physical, the temporal realm. Now, context being vitally important in sound biblical interpretation, if you, if you look back a bit further, you see that uh, Jesus' teaching in regard to worry comes on the very heels of, of, the heel, uh, on the, the heels of the parable of the rich fool. And in that parable of the rich fool, Jesus is describing a man that has given his, that has given his entire life to, to the amassing, the, the accumulation, the gathering of wealth, trying to amass a fortune. And yet look what Jesus and look what uh, the Father says. He says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you and as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relationship to God. So now what Jesus is doing in these passages that are our consideration this morning, Jesus is reminding us here uh, that, that there is more to life than material things. There is more to life than the pursuit of what this world sets before us, things that, that, that eventually we do not control, eventually that, that are no more, things that just slip away. Even the wisdom writer would remind us. He would say it like this in Proverbs 23, verse 4, the wisdom writer says this, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Stop dwelling on it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. So now Jesus comes to this passage of scripture in that same spirit as, as the wisdom writer. It is this pursuit, the concern, and the worry 
for, for what the world has to offer. It's this constant preoccupation and worry about trying to get and to gain so that I can have a sense of security. What Jesus is making clear to these disciples is that this is the very thing that devastates your discipleship. That this kind of preoccupation, like, like, like the, the, the foolish rich man, it devastates discipleship. That everything that we would pursue in this life, uh, it, it, it's, 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 but, it's, it's but an imitation of the transcendent desires that occupy our hearts. See, we chase the things of this world thinking that it's going to, to give us a sense of well-being, a sense of accomplishment, if I can get, if I can have, if I can hold, if I can keep, then I will feel secure. Now, Jesus says it's a, it's a false dichotomy. The wanting of the things of this world is but a temporal manifestation of those transcendent longings of the soul that only Jesus can feel. See, we don't want to become like Achan. Over in the book of, of Joshua in chapter 7, we don't, want to, we, we don't want to become like Achan who learned with, with deadly consequence that the covetous desires of this world are a very poor substitute for the covenant promises of God. In fact, from a practical standpoint, whenever you and I sense this tension in this life of wanting and pursuing the things of God, while at the same time as disciples we are called not to trust in the things of this world but to trust in our heavenly Father alone, whenever we feel that tension, it's a warning light. It literally should be a warning light, a flashing light on the dashboard of our soul. That there is something askew, there is something out of balance uh, with this selfish longing that I have for the things of this world and the offerings of this world and the call of God upon my life to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus says to the disciples and to us, he says, your worry is, is unreasonable. You have lowered yourself to, to concerns and worries of, of the temporal realm, and you are created for so much. There is more to life. There is more to your existence than this constant preoccupation and worries for the things of this realm. Jesus also says, not only is our worry unreasonable, but he also says that it's unnatural. Now, he uses three analogies as we go through verses 24 through 27. He's going to draw from nature itself to show the presence of God and, and the provision of God within his created order. He's going to use three natural things, uh, three natural assumptions to show us that, 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 our, that our worry that preoccupies us, it's unnatural. He says here in, in verse 24, using first the analogy of the raven, he says, consider the ravens, that they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, contrasting this with the, with the rich fool. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? 
Now, what is interesting about Jesus' use of, of the raven and talking about the provision of God, if you were to go to, if you were to, go to uh, Leviticus chapter 11 or you go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Leviticus 11.5, Deuteronomy 14.14, 14, what you see about the raven is that, is that the raven is considered unclean. The raven is considered to be an abomination. So look, look what Jesus is saying. This which is an abomination, this which is unclean, the raven, God even provides for it. Now he's showing this, this contrast. It's this contrast that, that Jesus is setting forth here between the ideal, the ideal world of the birds and how, and how God provides for them, how they don't have to labor or work or strive in the natural order of things. It's quite a contrast to us. He said, you know, look at our lives. We're caught up in the hustle and the bustle of trying to get and trying to acquire and trying to accumulate. Not the birds. It's an ideal exist. It would even make Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, in dealing with this text, he suggested to us as, as the people of God, he said, he suggested that we ought to look to the birds. Look to the birds and, and how they exist. Look, just observe birds. They're so much freer. They seem to live a life that is so much freer than the life that, that we live. They're not bound, they're not held hostage by, by the worries and the weight and the concern over the, over the things of this world. He says, look how much happier they are. Look at, how much, look at how much healthier they are. Look at how much, look at how much stronger the birds are. I mean, the birds that the, he says, birds don't even have, they don't have hands, they don't have human intelligence, but birds have the greatest blessing of all, he said. That is, they own no property. They own no property. It's like the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. In other words, the point is, the danger is, is that when we have the mindset here upon this earth that we own things, when we claim ownership over things that we have, things that we gather, things that we accumulate, when we claim ownership for ourselves, oh, then you got, then you got to worry. How do you keep those things? How do I keep the things that I own? And, and not just that, now I'm no longer satisfied with, with just owning what, what I have, but, uh, but now I, I need more. That's why he says the birds have, have the ideal life. The difference contemplating this the birds the birds have nothing and yet they have everything and that they have freedom 
They have the blessing of, of just being who they are, existing in the day. And then he makes this analogy in verse 26, and, and which of you by worrying? Now the answer is none of you, none of us. And which of you by worrying can add a day to his life's span? None of you. Worry doesn't add a single day to your life. In fact, medical evidence reveals that, that it can actually take days from your life, this constant stress of worry. Even if it's related to height here in this passage of Scripture. Who can add a day to his lifespan? Who can even add a day to his growth, as some translations would have? And I think that's a, probably a timely analogy. You know, in, in Jesus' day, the average Jew was about five feet tall. The average Roman soldier was about 5'8", five, 5'10". And the Jewish man always had a diminished view of himself because he always had to look up. So Jesus' point is well taken. Do you think about worrying all the time? You're going, will, you, will you add a single inch to your height? No, it's, it's, it's a misplaced worry. But my favorite analogy is this third one he offers here in verse 27. Jesus says, consider the lilies. Again, this, these are analogies to indicate why our worry is so unnatural. Consider the lilies how they grow, they neither labor nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like, like one of these. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the flower, the lily of the field, the flower, any flower, a flower has, has a glory of its own. A flower has a glory in itself without, without any effort of its own. But simply by being what God created it to be. Its, it's glory is, is shown forth. Now the, the other side of this, the application to our life as it, as it was to Solomon. A man of much pride, arrogance. And ego, the worrisome issue with our pride and our arrogance and our ambition that, that drives us to become what we desire to be. When our ego and our desires are driving us, when our arrogance and our pride is driving us at this earthly realm to become what we desire to be. In that quest and pursuit, listen church, in that quest and pursuit, we resemble less what God would desire for us to be. You see the contrast? The lilies have a glory of their own, not, of their, not by their effort, not by their own selfish desires. Within them is the glory that, that God has placed in his created order. And they're just being who they are. 
Yet here our egos drive us to become more and more what we desire to be in the eyes of others. And in so doing in that pursuit, we become less and less what God would, would desire for us to be. You see, in the natural world, in the natural world of, of birds and the beast and the fish of, of the sea, in the natural world, God's will is done because there are no competing wills. The will of God is done in nature. The will of God is seen in the lilies. The will of God is seen in birds because there are no competing wills that God must stand against. But for us, we who are created in the image of God, we who are, who are, conscious, uh, who are conscious beings, we pit our will against the will of God. And in so doing, in our, in our pursuit of what we desire to be, uh, putting our will against the will of God, we actually diminish ourselves to a level below the animals themselves. We become less and less of what God would have intended for us to be. Now, as such, that is the challenge of our discipleship. You see, the challenge of, of discipleship is, is a divestiture, it is a divesting of oneself from the things of this world, what this world sets before me, what the world tries to tell me I need to pursue and to chase if I'm going to be successful and happy. The challenge of discipleship is to journey away from that. And to live a life in pursuit of recovering the glory of God that he desires to emanate from those who are created in his image. A glory that has been diminished, that has been clouded by sin and the worries of this world. You see why Jesus is saying that this kind of, of worry. That preoccupies your life and existence. It's unnatural. It doesn't fit in with the created order of things. But the final thing Jesus says about worry is that it's unnecessary. He says in verse 28, Now if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do, not, and do not keep worrying, for all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek, and your Father knows that you need these things. What Jesus is saying is that to worry about these very things, to worry about the earthly, to worry about the temporal, to preoccupy yourself... That's a pagan life. That's how a pagan world thinks. That's how a, a, a life void of God, a person that has no sense of the transcendence, a person that, that has dismissed God as creator, that's, these are the things they concern themselves with. 
His point is, is that in verse 28, as a people of, of little faith, even just a little faith, our life is supposed to be, to be a contrast. I mean, he, even we of little faith, we should know better. We should know that, that worry is unnecessary. Because even as a people of little faith, we should know that ultimately, ultimately, God really is in control. Jimmy Allen, Dr. Jimmy Allen, was a denominational leader in Baptist life back in the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s. Was once the president of the SBC and in 1977, but his family went through a time of crises, devastating events and circumstances that, that they faced. He, he wrote about it in a book in 1995 that was published entitled Burden of a Secret. Burden of a Secret, and, and the subtitle of his book will give you insight as to what his family faced, burden of a secret, a story of truth and mercy in the face of AIDS at a time when little was known about the AIDS virus, HIV. Dr. Allen, Jimmy Allen, and his wife, Wanda, they had three sons, Michael, Skip, and Scott. Scott, the youngest, had a call in, into ministry, felt God was calling him into ministry, and, and to get out from under the shadow of, of his father, who was a prominent pastor in Texas, denominational leader, uh, Scott decided he was going to go to seminary at Golden Gate Seminary in, in California, tread his own path. While he was there in San Francisco, his, his wife gave birth to two children by cesarean section. It was about the time he graduated, and upon graduation, took a minister of education position at a church in Colorado. He soon received a phone call from the hospital in San Francisco that his wife, that Scott, his wife, had received blood tainted with HIV. And that was back in the day before they really had all the stopgap measures in place. She was given blood that was tainted HIV. So she was HIV positive. One of their children died almost immediately, and the other one was HIV positive. The church where he served fired him because they didn't, churches then just no one knew how to deal with this virus. Scott was fired from his job. They moved to Texas, move in with, with his parents, with Jimmy and, and Wanda. They can't even go to church because every church they go to will not allow their child in the nursery. About this same time, Wanda has a chemical imbalance. She goes into deep depression, as does their oldest son, Michael. 
And about this same time, the middle son, Skip, comes out as gay. And he also is HIV positive. All of this at the same time puts the Allen family in a tailspin in a time of financial ruin. I went back and lifted a quote from the book that I highlighted and marked and wrote in the margins. Because Jimmy Allen said this, I've learned not to worry about things I cannot control. I've learned to trust more than ever before. I have learned not to worry about the things I cannot control. I've learned to trust more than ever before. You see, that's, that's what worry is really about. It's these two things. It's, it's control and trust. We want to control things, and when we don't control it, we what? We worry. We stress over it. We're worried when we can't control it. But when we do control things, or when we think we control things, it's then that we're not trusting in God. Worry is always about two things, control and trust. Now, if you choose to be a worrier, you can be that. If you choose to be a chronic worrier, if you just say, this is what I want to be, I want to be a worrier, you can always Without difficulty, you can always find something to worry about. You may have a great marriage. And if you have a great marriage, you know what's on the other side of this. At some point, you're going to bury your spouse. But if you spend all of your time worrying about that, thinking about that, you're going to miss the joy that is to be had today in that relationship. If you have children, it's easy to worry about children are going to disappoint you at some point. And and what's even more shocking, sometimes they will even do it intentionally. And it's going to set you on a path of worry if you want to worry about the direction of their life, what the outcome of their life is going to be. And you can worry about those things. And to do so is to miss out on the joy of that relationship right now. You may enjoy great health, vigorous health right now, but let me tell you, you're you're going to get to a point where the wheels start falling off. It's just going to happen. This body is a temporal body. This is a body that is built for decay. It awaits a resurrection body that will be fit for eternity. But I'm telling you, no matter how great your health is right now, you're going to face difficult days. Things are going to start falling off of you. Things are going to start growing on you. I mean, you're going to start having aches in places you you didn't even know were achable. But if you spend all of your time worrying about what's going to happen in the future, 
about your health. What could happen? You miss out on the joy that is to be had living right now. Worry is always about control and trust. And here's the kicker. There is only one who is in control. There is only one, capital O. There is only one who is in control. And it's not you. And it's not you. So if you want to eliminate worry, trust in the one who ultimately is in control. Father, your words strike home this morning because we all recognize within us that we worry. We worry over things over which we have no control. So, Father, I pray that as we hear these words this morning, as we ponder these words, as we reflect upon them and walk out with them in our own life, that, Father, it might cause us all the more to lean all the more into you. Leaning not into our own understanding, leaning not into our own circumstances, leaning not into our own competences on what we have accumulated in this life. But that, Lord, it might call us all the more into leaning and trusting in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And as we stand to be dismissed this morning, hear this blessing from the psalmist. In Psalm 106 and verse 48, the psalmist proclaimed, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shall say, Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Go in peace.